Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking His kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. If you uh, haven't noticed this pattern but have been with us for a little while, we usually camp out in a specific text of the scriptures, whether we're walking through Mark like we did for most of this last school year, um, or more of this series, just kind of going, hey, here's a text we want to walk through. The last three weeks, uh, we've, we've been a lot in the first couple chapters of the Bible and the last couple chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21, 22, as we consider eternity. Um, and, and today, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a smattering throughout uh, the, some verses between those two. So I don't have like a, a base text for you to turn to today. We'll have verses on the screen, this kind of stuff. But we kind of want to weave together just to, if this is how it was and this is how it will be, what does this mean now? Um, and so just follow along. There'll be verses on the screen if you want to jot them down. If you want to turn when they pop up on the screen, you're welcome to. We're going to kind of move through a few different chapters uh, as we talk today. So um, with that said... We'll dive in by saying it is May. Is that crazy to anyone else that it's a new month? It's the last month of school for many households. Um, Anyone have a countdown going to summer? Any kids have a countdown going? We have a paper chain on our back door. Um, And every day, uh, the biggest debate in our house is who gets the win of getting to tear the paper off because for that person, it especially feels one day closer to summer. Um, Kids, what's something you're looking forward to over the summer? Yes, sir. You raise your hand without even thinking about it. You're just like, I'm going to Florida. All right. Very nice. Y'all have to go to Florida now. Congrats. Yeah. Swimming pool party. Yeah. You have to invite us all now. Piper. I'm going to avocado. Going to avocado? I love that. I want to go there and live there. Chicago. That's amazing. I love it. I was thinking Colorado, but you got me. All right. Yes, sir. The pool and ice cream at the same time? Yeah, that's a win. Vacation, absolutely. That there's no school. I'm really surprised we got this far across the room before someone said, I'm glad there's no school. The pool, yeah. The pool, pool. man. We're going to hot springs. springs. It's going to be hot. We're going to Arkansas, making a little road trip as a family. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Going to Colorado? All the springs. All right. Lots of excitement. Adults, anything you're excited about for the summer? Lots of the same things, I'm going to guess. Here's the next question, whether a kid or... If you have one of the kids who just answered, how, how is that anticipation impacting you today? Because it does, right? Whether it's the, is today the day? Is today the day? Is today the day? Yeah. Making you excited, absolutely. Makes you really like yearn for it, right? Makes school even a little bit harder when the light's at the end of the tunnel. Is that true for anyone? It's called senioritis, but we all get it, whether we have kids in school or not, right? Uh, like Travis said, our, our family's going to, to Hot Springs. If you know my wife, she has this almost like 
inhuman love of Excel spreadsheets and this supernatural gift of planning. And so our, our house has started to see like, all right, what if we do this? And so getting into the details of it and this kind of stuff has just the, the idea of escape, the idea of going and taking this vague idea into reality has added a lot of excitement. And it's made the 14 days of school that we have left, only 14 for Fort Worth ISD. Some of you are a little more, some of you are even less. But it's made it a little bit more bearable. Here's the only point I'm making. Summer is in the future, but the anticipation of those things that you're talking about impacts you now, right? And that's true not just of summer vacation. That's, that's weddings and birthdays and births and, and seeing relatives. That's kind of like you, a lot of us have this thing in the future, whatever it may be, and we know that it impacts us now. It, it is, is not just something that we'll get to, like we wake up thinking about it. Or we look forward to it, or it makes this seem a little bit more bearable, or it makes this seem unbearable because of what's coming next. And so we've had these conversations for the last few weeks about the afterlife. And as we wrap up those conversations today, we just want to ask, what about now? Because a right view of heaven, hell, eternity, right view is good news for the future, and it leads to hope and anticipation and joy, and I hope you've sensed that over these last few weeks. From some of your comments throughout the week and this kind of stuff, some of the stuff we hoped would happen over the series has taken shape, and there's been a little bit more understanding, but more than that, a little bit of hope and joy for the future. But what I want to submit is that that future hope and anticipation and joy should breed in us hope and anticipation and joy now. And so tonight, we're just going to kind of wrap up these conversations by asking, how does our eternal hope impact our life today? And, and, and here's this kind of starting point, overarching answer. Do you want to go to the next slide, Lydia, so we can get the uh, uh, logo up there, the picture up there? That's a better picture than the black and white. This is actually what's supposed to happen, right? Michelle made this graphic. She didn't even know how right she was, that the eternal hope kind of crashes into our lives today, and, and frankly does so in a way that a lot of followers of Jesus don't, don't even know. So thank you. Great job. Um, here's a starting point answer for how this can work, how this can look. Um, N.T. Wright, who's a, a British theologian, Scottish theologian, um, calls heaven and hell and eternity, he calls it, follow me, life after life after death. Life after life after death. Does that sound confusing to you? Followers of Jesus talk about life after death a lot, but, but N.T. Wright calls that eternity life after life after death. Here's the deal. We often talk about life after death as eternity, as our future. That's the common image. But think about what we've seen this month, even here on these Sundays during our conversations. The new heavens and new earth, we've said, are going to be here on this earth as God renews it. We're not going to some cloud city with a harp for all of eternity, but it's going to be real life, and we're going to have meaningful relationships, and we're, our days are going to be filled, endless days are going to be filled with work and cultivation and worship and unity with God and the world around us and others. What does that sound like? Many elements of those sound similar to what we do in our life now. We work, we cultivate things, we, we, we relate to other people, sometimes not well, but we do. We live in, in specific places in a very real life. A lot of what eternity is going to look like is a true and better version of what life looks like now. 
And again, I hope that sounds really hopeful. And that's Dr. Wright's, Professor Wright's point. Because when did life after death start, objectively and historically? When did even the possibility of life after death start? It started at the cross and the resurrection. The the literal first full life after death was Jesus' resurrection from the grave. He had raised Lazarus before, but Lazarus would die again one day. The full promise of eternal life started the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And because Jesus introduced life after death on earth, follow me here, when does life after death actually start spiritually for us? It starts at the moment of our salvation. Because we say things like this a lot. The wages of sin is death. And so in, in receiving Jesus' life on our behalf, we're entering into life after death. When we die to ourselves and live for Christ, when we accept Jesus' death and accept his life as our own, we're spiritually entering into life after our death. And so heaven, hell, eternity, very real, but that's life after life after death. It's eternal. It's, it's perfect. Everything is right. But in Jesus and empowered by the Spirit and informed by the eternal perfection, life after death is where and when. In the spiritual sense, it's here and it's now. If you've been given life by the blood of Jesus, then there's a sense in which you're living life after death now. Still with great anticipation and joy and hope for life after life after death. Is that different than you've ever thought of it? Is that real deep for a Sunday night? I want to unpack that, but I want to do so in a way that hopefully informs our everyday lives and, and, and shows us this life now through a bit of a hopeful lens, because this is on the next slide, Lydia. A right view of eternity is our theme for the day. A right view of eternity leads to true hope today. And I want to give you three ways that a right view of eternity leads to true hope today. The first is what's already up there. If everything we've said about eternity and, and, and heaven and new heavens and new earth and all this kind of stuff is true, then all of life is truly spiritual. We've said this a lot this month. Heaven and earth are not two separate spaces like, like a different planet or an eighth continent or that kind of stuff. Rather, they're, they're two different dimensions. And, and, and the very first conversation we had about this, Matt introduced this, the common and competing worldviews that have shaped and misshaped our views of eternity. And so over the last couple of weeks, I hope that we've done a decent job of, of deconstructing those, those false narratives and reconstructing a truly biblical worldview about eternity. But Lydia, if you'll throw, throw the next slide up there, the first worldview that Matt mentioned, which is based out of Plato, based out of kind of Greek philosophy, says that the physical world was bad and the spiritual world is good. But if the new heavens and new earth is a physical and literal dimension and and existence. And if God is restoring the literal earth that you and I exist on, and if we're going to exist here in a perfect literal earth, then the physical world is not bad. We just get to play a part in bringing together the very real dimensions that exist now and will forever. 
In other words, we get to live all of life as if Jesus mattered to all of life. Is that fair? We get to live all of life in the physical world as if the spiritual aspects of life matter to all of life. We get to engage everyone and do everything and enter every scenario as if everything is spiritual. Can you think of any verses that you've read in the New Testament about living life, recognizing God in all of life, living life, recognizing the spiritual realm? Anything come to mind? It's okay if it doesn't, but if anything does, love to hear it. I'll give you a couple. We'll put them up on the screen. Romans 12.1. After a whole lot of Paul explaining what God has done for us, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that's the ESV, it's brothers and sisters, it's holistic, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Why would we do that? Because there's something spiritually that we've said yes to, and we're bringing that into the realm of our everyday life. 1 Corinthians 10.31, I love this verse. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. The most mundane, simplistic things that we do, the most necessary things we get to do with a spiritual lens overlaid on top of it. In your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy, Peter writes, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that there's hope in you. We've talked about this verse periodically throughout our church's short life. But if someone's going to ask you for the hope within you, what do they have to see before they ask you about it? They got to see some form of hope in you, which is to say there's something you're putting your hope in that looks different from the rest of the world and begs the question. If in Christ, Paul writes, we, are, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But praise God, that verse goes on and says we don't have hope in this life only. Our eternal life shapes this life such that we might look pitiable. Our goals look different. The way we use our finances or raise our kids might look different or this kind of stuff. It's a bringing together of the life that we live, the very real physical, also emotional and all that kind of stuff, yeah, but the physical realm and not separating the spiritual reality that that we exist in, but bringing it into one. Peter and Paul even link how our hope now relates to our hope in eternity. Because y'all, if Christ did rise, and we believe he did, for the record, if Christ was raised, then that crazy life that we live is not pitiable today. It's that hope that changes our life, that leads us to worship, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. It's that hope that demands an explanation. There is, and for some of us, this is the first time we've really dwelled on it. I'll, I'll be honest, this, this month is the, has impacted me in a new way as I've thought about the spiritual realm that exists all around us. If you're like me, then some of the, 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 the follow-up, the outflow of this month is, is just the realization or the re-realization that there is a real and spiritual dimension existing around us and on earth and all the time and today and will for eternity. And Jesus, Jesus gives us a glimpse of that in his post-resurrected experience. 
He walks as a fully human man. He eats and consumes food after his resurrection and somehow could also walk through walls. That won't be a question we'll be able to answer on June 4th fully, but he does. He gives us a glimpse of living a real life and the spiritual and physical coming together. Angels bring those two dimensions together at different points in the Bible when they become visible and sing the glories of God and appear to people. Old Testament, we see God show up in what's called theophanies by the theologians. At Eden and at eternity, there was no separation of the physical and spiritual realm. This makes sense? This isn't how we're taught to think about it. And especially in our Western world, the kind of stuff we're talking about sounds downright crazy. That there's another dimension. But man, we're drawn to the Marvel movies. And we love the metaverse idea. And there's something about that that I wonder why we're okay with it there. But why it seems so foreign to us. That's right. <laughs> You're good. It's not you doing it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, if, that's right. There it is. All right. If all of life is truly spiritual, then the second way, there's a second way. <laughs> there's a second way that a right view of eternity leads us to true hope today. And, and that's on the next slide. And it's this. We get to, if all that stuff is true, if you believe what we've talked about for the last three weeks, if you believe even that, then we get to bring glimpses of that spiritual life into all aspects of our life. If you are in Christ, hear me, sister, brother, if you're in Christ, everything that you do and everywhere you go and everyone you engage, you are both a spiritual and a physical being. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Paul tells us in Romans 8. You have a new lens on life, which means you have a new lens on work, on grief, on the brokenness that's around you, on mental health, on parenting, on death, on eating and drinking and whatever you do. Like, if that's true, you have a new lens for everything. What does Jesus teach his followers to pray? Father in heaven, heaven now, he'll be walking with us on the earth forever. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, here and now, on earth as it is in heaven. And guess how God often chooses to answer that prayer? You know? Sometimes he shows up, he still performs miracles. But very commonly, God uses you and me and our sisters and brothers who walk with Jesus and anyone in whom life after death exists now. That's who God uses to answer those prayers. It's through us and in us and overflowing out of us. God's people here and now that his kingdom comes, his will is done increasingly on earth as, as it is in heaven. And so Matt introduced, and we've referenced this chart a few times over the last few weeks. But if that's true, it, 
then it necessarily changes and impacts things. We've, we've done a lot of like teaching the last few weeks. A lot of this is new concepts kind of stuff. Um, and that's right and good because understanding some of this helps us. But I want to shift for a few minutes from just teaching into more like actual like equipping. What does this look like? Don't just think this, but how do we think about this? And so if all of these are, are negative and, and incorrect views that have shaped our view of the afterlife, then what does it look for, like for our eternal hope to truly impact our hope now? So we're not going to spend a ton of time on each of these, but I want to walk through at least a few of them and, and, and say, for example, that if new, a new age view of afterlife is impersonal, disconnected from reality and just kind of a floating spirit, but if the Bible shows that the new heavens and earth is, is perfect community, restored relationships with God and people, then, then let's talk for a minute, church. What would it look like to live in light of eternity and see all of life as spiritual and pursue God's kingdom coming as well being done, specifically as it relates to our relationships here? Because if eternity is relational and in community, and that gives us some hope here. What, is, what, what might that look like in our relationships? Any thoughts? It's not one right answer for the record, I don't think. Pursuing deeper relationships with, obviously, with everybody around this world. Okay. Yeah. If, if, if eternity is communal, and we're bringing a glimpse of eternity to earth, then yeah, it drives us to pursue relationships, not out of like empty obligation, but going, man, our future hope leads me to this. Great. What else? Anything else? Pursuing reconciliation. Yeah. Pursuing reconciliation. Yeah. There's something really beautiful about that. Uh, I think it's in second Corinthians five that talks about we're ministers of reconciliation, that the brokenness between relationships is such a reality of sin and brokenness. And in eternity, it's not going to be the sin-filled, broken relationships we have now, but all of life will be reconciled. So it drives us to pursue reconciliation today. Anything else? One more? Kids, y'all can talk as well if you have ideas. One thing that came to my mind is that there's there's something there's something of God's image in every person you meet, and thus there's something valuable, whether they walk with God or is or the person that you think in your mind is the furthest thing from God, enemy of God. There's something really valuable because they're created in God's image. They have an eternal sense, whether they know it or not. You you know it. That shapes our view of them. If naturalism says death is the end, but God says in his scriptures that we're designed for eternity, then what does it look like to live in light of that eternity and to see all of life as spiritual and to pursue God's kingdom coming as well being done in view of our responses to death and the outflows of death, sin and brokenness around us? What is it, how does our view of death 
and just even brokenness itself change knowing that death isn't the end but that we live in a world of it any thoughts I'll give you one after we take communion we're going to take a little bit of time and lament together yet another mass shooting one that is geographically closer to home and if we're created for eternity and death is not the end, it frees us to, to bring to God our sadness over death and say, God, this, sh- this should not be. This is not how you design life. So it frees us to be sad, but also to bring it to God and not try to hide our sadness. How else, how else does eternity shape our view of death and the sin and brokenness around it? Yeah, yeah, that's good. We can be sad, but it doesn't have to, to utterly obliterate us. Paul talks some about that. I'm crushed. I'm something pressed but not crushed. And he goes on and on and on. What else? We don't grieve as those without hope, he says elsewhere. What else? I think, uh, especially for those, this isn't as much of an American Western thing, but in countries where... There is actual persecution, violent persecution. Mm-hmm. That gives people the hope and, uh, to live faithfully. Yeah. Yeah, because if I am killed for this, we see this in the book of Acts. It is so, to your point, not a modern Western mindset. If I'm killed for this, that's not the end. I, I, I get to go home, in a sense. If secular humanism says that human morality can fix society without God, which again seems like it's doing a great job, (laughs) Um, but if the Bible shows that Jesus is currently restoring brokenness, physical, emotional, spiritual, and everything, and making all things new, then what would it look like to live in light of eternity and to see life as spiritual and pursue God's kingdom coming as well being done here as it relates to society around us and culture. Yeah. I just have this memory uh, come to my mind like really strongly um, about whenever I was a senior in, high, in a college at TCU. Um, and they did this like, uh, they labeled this lecture, this big lecture in this big auditorium over a thousand people of like love and the Judeo-Christian worldview or something like that. And their basic message was not at all Judeo-Christian, but it was secular humanism. And it was, if God is love, then the one who is a non-believer is not the one who doesn't believe in a particular God of the Bible, but the one who does not love. And I remember like so strongly, like so basically the point was it doesn't matter what you believe, just love people. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Yeah. Just do good. Yeah. That's the truth. And I remember so strongly, like this, like more than a thousand people, like raising to their feet and like clapping and cheering and like whooping for this idea. And I just remember like sitting in my chair, like being so broken because this was at like Texas Christian University and just like how they were missing Jesus and like Jesus was the creator of all life and he was the very one giving them the breath. And 
like been missing it. And I just remember being like so broken for them and that they can't, you can't love people without Jesus. Like he's the very, he is love. And just wanting them to know that so much. And so, yeah, it's There's one, I can't remember who said it, but basically, like, we can benefit people all the way to hell. We can do nice things for them. Yeah. can bless them in some ways. Like, this is why I wanted to create a little bit of space to have a conversation around this, because it's one thing to be like, all right, now I learned some things about eternity. But if we just leave it there, then we miss the fact that eternal hope gives us more of a reason for hope. It's not less of a reason for hope today. It'd be easy to look at eternity and be like, I just want that. Like the whole, I'll fly away, I'll escape this broken whatever hole and be done. Sounds really appealing. But that's not how it works. Instead of looking at that and going, that's what's coming, God, would you do some of that here today? Would you give us some glimpses of some of that here today? Does that make sense? For the sake of time, I'm going to, I'm going to skip over these other two, but, but if, if nihilism says that life is meaningless, but the Bible shows that we're made to worship, and we just said all of life is spiritual, then, then those same things, it's a good conversation for you to have as you drive home, I know you will, then, then there's a way to live in light of eternity and to see all of life as spiritual and pursue God's kingdom coming in just our view of life and what matters most and the things we're pursuing and the goals and the things we spend our money and time and whatever else on. It changes if we're made for worship. If universalism says that everyone goes to heaven or something similar, because a lot of places, a lot of philosophies don't even use the word heaven or that concept or this kind of stuff. But if, if universalism, yeah, universalism says something like that, but the Bible shows that heaven, which is temporary, and the new heavens and the new earth, which is eternal, is, is for those whose names are written in the ba- Lamb's book of life. For those who put their trust in Jesus in this life, then that matters. And we get to see light uh, life in light of eternity. We get to see all of life as spiritual and pursue God's kingdom coming and his will being done in things like our own faith and our pursuit of holiness and, and missions and evangelism. This makes sense? Anything else come to mind before we move on and start to kind of wrap up? But anything else come to mind about those or even not just those? Yeah. Mm-hmm. and actually 
Sabbath. Yeah. And then also, um, we can be satisfied in our work, mm-hmm. even like the Jesus seed work. You know, I, yeah. we, we can just find the little corner of the earth that we're called to. Right. And it might be small, might be big, but we can just be faithful there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, like I think about my mom who has an adult kid with special needs, and like that's mostly her world. Yeah. And then also going to the athletic club and uh, meeting some people there, but there's been really fruitful relationships there. And, um, you know, because God's making all things new, and like she doesn't have to fix everything and be it. So, yeah. yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, Sabbath is a, a recreation that we talk about in Sabbath, and that word is just so interesting to me because it's recreate and recreate. So we get to like cultivate and be creative out of our rested place, and we also just get to play and have fun and recreate in the sense of that we talk about it. We get to work rested somehow. There's some freedom there. Anything else? This is the whole point of tonight. Y'all, is, is that a right view of eternity impacts our life today. Um, a right view of eternity brings hope into this life because it gives us a reason to seek these things, things like the things we've just been talking about and so much more and way more than guilt or shame or owing God something or like empty Christian duty or obligation or anxiety or pressure or everything being on my shoulders to Ben's point. Reconciliation, recreation, pursuing God, all of these things, living, pursuing relationships, all, all, all these things is an act of worship. All these things is an act of hopeful urgency. We look around us and say, there's things that are broken that are not right. And we pray and trust and hope and know that God will, bring, will make them right And then as he opens doors and empowers us by his spirit, we get to bring some of those glimpses of rightness into the very wrong world that we live in. Some of the most eternity-focused, hopeful verses in the New Testament are going to be up on the screen. They're 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and they're not talked about as if they're eternity verses. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Here's what Paul's saying. And just as a reminder, since Genesis 1, God has always had a presence on earth. And his presence, his spiritual presence, has always been a literal physical space. A temple where the heaven and earth dimensions, heaven and eternity, yeah, heaven and earth dimensions overlap. So that's what the Garden of Eden was. That's what the fire and cloud as he led his people through the Exodus was. That's what the tabernacle and temple in the Old Testaments were. That's what the voice of the prophets in some senses were. That's what the new heavens and new earth will be, is a space where God enters into earth and heaven and earth overlap. Jesus is the ultimate place on earth, physical and spiritual space person on earth in whom heaven and earth overlap, but where is the space today where heaven and earth overlap? It's not just in one temple. It's not just in fortress from 4 to 530 on a Sunday when God's people are together. Where where does God's 
physical and spiritual space overlap today, according to this verse? It's us. If you've been bought by God, you've died to yourself, you're living your life after death, and you're filled with his spirit. You get to glorify God in your body. In other words, you get to love God and love people with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, because because that's what happens at a temple. People see and experience and are drawn to the glory of God. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whoever you engage, whatever situation you find yourself in, that's part of the resurrection life that you're living now. You get to bring glimpses of spiritual life into aspects of everyday life today. All right, so let's close. Let's wrap this up with a third way that a right view of eternity leads to hope today, and that's this. That is not something new. This whole conversation we've been having is not something new or something we just came up with or even something that happened in the New Testament for the first time. That's the kingdom life that God intended for his people. We've talked a lot about Eden and how God and people and nature and the world interacted there. It's a new concept in in kind of Western modern Christianity, but the idea of of the resurrection life that we have in Christ is is laced throughout the Bible. And it's modeled by Jesus' first century followers. Y'all, why did Jesus himself come down to earth? You know, to start to restore some of what was broken. On the next slide, this is kind of Jesus' mission statement, according to a lot of scholars. He sat down in a temple. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Is that physical or is that spiritual? Yes, yes, is the answer. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What does that sound like? It sounds like restoration. It sounds like good news in people's present lives. It sounds like a glimpse of God's future kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And then if you follow the book of Acts, you know what Jesus' first followers did in everyday life? Same kind of stuff. We, we talk a lot in our church family about being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. None of that is secondary or optional as far as Christian belief, but none of it's on our shoulders either. It's central to Jesus's message and is central to our church following Jesus, and it all centers around this eternal hope. This makes sense? Again, there's a lot of questions around eternity. And frankly, there's a lot of brokenness around us and there's a lot of brokenness within us as well. But if Jesus is who he says he is, and if history and the world and people are progressing toward God's promised finale, which isn't really a finale, but a next chapter, then there's lots to be hopeful for. Way more than just summer and going to avocados This future eternal hope impacts your life today. A right view of eternity gives us hope. Amen? You know what the primary seal of that future is? 
the primary guarantee of hope and the primary assurance of God's promise of life after death and life after life after death? It was Jesus' resurrection, which followed Jesus' death. And so if you will, grab a cracker and hold it for a moment before you dip it into the juice or the wine. Because it's in Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection that all of this opened back up and that this return to Eden became possible and this future hope became real. Jesus' body was broken. Hear me. Jesus' body was broken to restore the world and his blood was shed to make you pure. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was the firstborn from the dead. And by his spirit, Jesus invites you to join his resurrection life every day and today. And so I want to read to you, if you'll go back one slide real quick, can we go back one slide? I want to read to you um, this invitation from John chapter 11. This is John talking to Martha right around the time he's, he's raising Lazarus from the dead. And again, Lazarus died again, but he'll live forever with you and me. And I love this invitation that Jesus gives to Martha. I want to hear it as him giving it to you. And I love it in part because it includes a question. And so just ponder this. And as you're ready to say yes to the question, do you believe this? Even as hard as it is sometimes, and even with as much brokenness that exists around us, when you're ready to say yes, yes, I believe this, dip the bread into the juice of the wine and take. This is Christ's body broken, his blood shed for you. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, and take communion when you're ready to say to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming where? Into the world. Amen? Take and dip and eat whenever you're ready. And if you have a hard time saying yes to that and you're struggling to dip, that's okay. And I want to thank you for your honesty in that. I would be happy to chat with you in the back whether you're ready to take communion or not with it. I'd be happy to talk. But I want to do one more thing before we wrap up tonight. Um, And that is, like I mentioned, uh, simply to take a moment and lament before God. And we do this once every few months. sometimes in response to things and sometimes just as, as part of our rhythm. Um, but if, if we have future hope and we're created for eternity and, and there is something spiritual and valuable in every human, um, then not just when mass shootings happen and not when they just happen to be in North Texas, but every time and not just even when death happens, but also when death happens and when mass shooting happens, it's right to go, God, this is not how you designed your kingdom to be. And we just want to bring our sadness and our grief and our anger to you as the king of your kingdom. And in part, y'all, it's our future hope that lets us lament and lets us grieve well. And so that's all lament is. And it's just not something that Western Christians do very well. And so I just want to open up the space to go, if you, whether out loud or in, in your mind or whatever else, if you just want to pray prayers of sadness, anger, even confusion, what am I supposed to think? There's not, there's not anything off the table to bring before God. And I just want us to take a a moment and and just lament this 
yet again recent thing that's happened, and this one happens to be geographically closer. So let's just take a moment. If you want to pray out loud, go for it. We can pray in our heads as well. And we'll wrap up and sing.